we are today going to celebrate the fact that Jesus came down. And that was a pretty good uh, time of praise, wasn't it? We do that when he came down. Imagine what we're going to do next week when we celebrate the fact that he rose up. I tell you what, the roof may come undone. That's all right, though, right? Well, this begins Holy Week. This is, a, this is an important week for those of us who believe. It, it begins with this today, Palm Sunday. And in the last days of Jesus' life, they, they, they really are worthy of time and reflection and prayer. And I, I want to encourage you this week to take time every day to reflect on the last days of Jesus because they lead to the most crucial event in all of human history, of all the universe, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into that city on that Sunday, when he, that day when he came in on Palm Sunday, it, it was to a crowd that was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they were laying palm branches before him. Now the palm branches, they were symbolic of, of the nation. They were basically saying, you're our king. And what they were anticipating was that this Messiah, this Jesus, was going to conquer geopolitically their world so that they could have freedom from the Romans. They had no idea the freedom that Jesus had come to bring. It was much greater. It was much broader. They were yelling, Hosanna. And what that basically means is give salvation now. They were praising and they were hoping that this person, this real person, was going to bring freedom. It's important to note that they were really celebrating a real life person, Jesus of Nazareth. They were not praising, they were not singing, they were not celebrating a concept, a philosophy, an ideology, or an institution. They were, they were in the presence of a real person and they had great expectations of what this person was going to do. They, they did not know, many did not know that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, was God. He has always been, always will be, and is today God Almighty. He is the second person of the Trinity. He, he has always been that. He always will be. And he came, he came to provide a sacrifice for our sin. He came to set us free from, from the dominion of this dark world and to give us hope and healing so that we can have eternal life. Writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul penned this to the Philippians. It was a hymn, it was the canonical hymn, and where he spoke to the reality of, of, of who God is and, and what, what he was accomplishing. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God with a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This truth is miraculous in and of itself. And next week, for Easter, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. Now, I say next week because it's not just Sunday. I know some of you are going to be traveling next weekend. That's fine. You need to get here on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. You need to bring family and friends with you. And they, they need to come and celebrate this resurrection, especially those who don't believe, so that they can experience this. And if you have friends who, who struggle to believe in the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, invite them to the Areopagus tomorrow night. It's our conference. It's a place where we host, where we have conversations around some of the, the deeper and difficult truth claims 
systems of Christianity. But today we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus came down. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to go with me now to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be in verses 45 through 56. Now, if you do not yet have a reading plan prepared for this week of how you want to commemorate Christ and and worship him in your time of personal study, let me encourage you to use this text. And I want you to encourage you to, to today to find the six miracles that are in this section. And then each day, Monday through Saturday, take each one of those miracles and take time to reflect on those and give praise to God. As we look at the text today, we are not going to look at it from the perspective of those six miracles. We're going to look at it from another perspective. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And uh, let's read this together. This is Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the word of God. If you would go ahead and be seated. Understand historically by this time, there had been some 30,000 Jews who had been crucified. Many of them were innocent of the charges just as Jesus was for which they were crucified. Many of them died for a cause, a reason, just as Jesus died. So the question we have to ask is why, after two millennia, are we still talking about his death? What is it about the death of Jesus that is so significant? Because anytime a person dies, it matters. Anytime there is a death, it's significant to, to life. I, I, I know for me, my, my father died 19 years ago last week. And when my father died, it had a, it had a significant impact on, on my life. My, my dad and I were not particularly close. Uh, we didn't spend a lot of time together. We had an understanding. My dad would say to me all the time, call me if you need me. And what that meant was, call me if you're in trouble. And so many times I would call my dad and he would realize it was me. And his first question was, what's wrong, right? When he died, I didn't have that person to call. I didn't have that person who was always on my side, always in my corner. My, my children, they, they, they never really knew their, their grandfather. They never knew the, he was little. He was little bitty, mean, spunky man that he was. You know, I, I also lost connection with that whole side of the family. My dad was the bridge to that side of the family. I, I, I don't have a cl- close relationship with them at all now. 
And, and all that was lost when my, when my dad died. And it was significant. And I, I know that many of you have had those who have passed on and it's had a significant impact on your life. But the impact of the death of Jesus is unlike the, the impact of anybody else's death. When Jesus died, when Jesus came down, there were supernatural realities that changed. And, and these, are, these are huge. I'm going to try to get through them today without just passing out because it just overwhelms me to consider what, what the, the Bible is telling us right now. And so I want you to see this. Let's understand the spiritual reality of the universe that changed when Jesus came down. Note first, when Jesus came down, the spiritual reality of God's wrath changed. God's wrath is very real. It says in the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Now that's from 12 p.m. until about 3 p.m. There was darkness over the land. It's interesting to note that Josephus, the, the uh, Jewish historian, uh, noted that it was always around that, that ninth hour, around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, that the daily sacrifice was made. It is no coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence. It's providence. It's always providence that the Lamb of God was slain the very moment when the daily sacrifice was typically given. You look at John chapter 1, verse 29, this, this way of describing Jesus that John had for him. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was at that 3 p.m. hours, at the ninth hour, when the sacrifice was typically made, that Jesus gave up his spirit. Now, this darkness over the land is significant. God was, was creating a commercial here. He was pointing out that, that there was something big that was going on here. And again, that it was under his control. God is always sovereign. We are responsible. We make choices, but God is sovereign. And this moment was no surprise to him. As a matter of fact, he had prophesied about it through the prophet Amos. Look what Amos said in Amos chapter eight, verse nine. And on that day, the day of the death of the son of God declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And that is exactly what happened. When Christ was, was dying, when he was on the cross for those three hours, darkness came over the land. It, it, makes, it makes us look back and remember, this is, this is similar to what happened with the children of God in Exodus. Right before the Passover, there was darkness for three days. So here, there's a three hours of darkness. And different commentators had different ideas about what this means. There are those who say that all creation was sympathizing with the creator and groaning and there was a darkness because of the sadness. There are some who say what I believe, that God was pulling back. And in the absence of God and his light, there is always darkness. And the demons of hell were circling and there was glee and delight as they were seeing the death of the Son of God. And in this moment, there was darkness. And as the third hour came, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this, in my opinion, is the most crucial moment, not only in, in our time, but in, in all of the time, in eternity, something was happening here that was unheard of in heaven. The second person of the Trinity was being estranged from the Father. 
Jesus had prayed in the garden, God, if there's any way, take this cup away from me. What was the cup? It was the cup of the wrath of God. In that moment, as Jesus was crying out, he was becoming something he had never been. It was something that was so beyond him, unlike him. It was a sickness. It was a pain. It was an ache. It was beyond it made. I am confident that the thorns on his, the crown of thorns on his head, the nails in, in his hands and in his feet felt as nothing compared to the pain that was being poured out on him in this moment when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in this moment, he who knew no sin became sin. There was a disruption in the eternal Godhead. I don't understand it, but it's real. The Bible talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange in this moment, he became sin. What, what does that mean? I, I want you to imagine your worst day. What's the day that brings you the most shame and the most guilt and the most heartache and the most pain? Now multiply that by billions and fill it all in a single moment. When he who knew no sin became sin, he took our sin upon himself. And he was separated because of that sin from the holiness of God and the wrath of God was poured out on him and he satisfied the just demands of God. God is holy. And because God is holy, he demands there be justice for sin. And sin comes at a great price. It comes at the price of death. And so Jesus had to propitiate, that is to satisfy the just demands of God. And he did it out of love. Not out of guilt, not out of ought to, love. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, look what it says. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The just demands met for our sins. The wrath of God satisfied for our sins. This is one of the things that we worship. This is one of the things we sing about. One, one of my favorite songs that, that we sing about talks about the, this. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. He who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and we received his righteousness because he loves us, because he cares about us. It's a gift. We cannot earn this. Think about what Romans 3.23 says. You, you know this one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. That is, the sin is propitiated. The wrath of God is satisfied. There's justice justified by his grace. Look at it as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, it is a gift. Jesus came down to give a gift. And he, the spiritual reality of the wrath of God has radically changed because of this gift. Secondly, when Jesus came down, the spiritual reality of God's presence changed. The spirituality of his presence. I read this uh, pointedly in verse 51 just a moment ago. I want to read it again. 
It says, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, but note how it was torn from top to bottom. There's significance in that order. It was clear that it was not torn by man. If you study, you'll understand that the, the thickness of this curtain was immense. It was very dense. It would require a, a great struggle to tear it. And the fact that it was torn from the top to the bottom, God again was making clear the reality that the, the fact that Jesus had come down, there was now a new spiritual reality concerning his presence. We were no longer going to be separated from the Holy of Holies. That curtain separated humanity from the very presence of God. God himself, through the death of Jesus, tore the curtain so that now we have access to the presence of God. Now, that place where only once a year the high priest would go to offer the, the atoning sacrifice for the year on the day of atonement. Now that place, that presence is available to all who believe. Now, as a Hebrew writer says, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our temptations, all of our trials. Because of him, the writer of Hebrews says, we can come to the presence of God, to the, the throne of grace, as he calls it, with complete confidence because we come in the name of Jesus. I love when we sing that song, Jesus, Jesus. There is no greater name than Jesus. There is no other name by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus where there is power. We have access to the presence of God because of the name, because of the person of Jesus, because he has defeated sin. Now we have access to, to God himself. We now can have a relationship with him. Several years ago, uh, Billy Graham got a speeding ticket. I, I mentioned Billy Graham the other day and a bunch of 20-somethings were like, who? If you don't know who Billy Graham is, Google him. And get on YouTube and watch at least sermon, one sermon before an Easter celebration happens, all right? I know you're busy, I know you got things to do. Google Billy Graham. Listen to at least one sermon. He, he, was, he was used by God mightily. God used him to bring about so many different revivals, not only in our nation, but around the world. So he got a speeding ticket. So he goes to court and, and he's there and the judge uses his full name, says, how do you plead? And he says, your honor, I, I plead guilty. And that very unique Billy Graham voice and the judge didn't even, hadn't even looked up, but he heard the voice and he knew that voice and he looked up and there was Dr. Graham. <laughs> and the judge was like, oh boy, what are we gonna do here? And so he said, well, Dr. Graham, do you understand what's happening? He said, yes, sir, I was speeding. I'm guilty. It was wrong. So the judge kind of got his wits about him, and he read out the sentence. He said, well, you're going to have to pay the court $100. It's a fine to, to make right and, and, and reparations for what you've done wrong here. And then the judge pulled out his wallet, pulled out $100, put it on the desk, and he said, paid in full. Think about what happened. The court paid for the sins of another to the court to meet the just demands so there could be forgiveness. That is what Jesus did. God paid the penalty to God for the sins of all who believe so that we would be made right with God and be forgiven. After he did that, he looked at Dr. Graham and said, and I'd like to take you out to dinner for a steak. What do you say? And he said, what am I gonna do now? I gotta say yes, right? And so they became fast friends. And that's also what God has done for us. It's not that God just simply forgave us and said, hey, I hope this whole thing works out. We become friends of God. We now live in the presence of God. 
It's not just that our sins are forgiven. It's not that we're made righteous. It's now we have access to God. God is in us and we are in him. He is with us forever. No matter what we go through, his presence is with us. This holy, holy, holy God is in us, with us, for us. He is your friend if you believe. And this is a spiritual reality that was radically changed by the coming of Jesus. The third one, the third one will, will probably require a little more study uh, for, for, for some. You haven't had opportunity to hear this before or think through this. But I want you to, to at least see what the text says. It says, when, G- when Jesus came down, understand the spiritual reality of God's heaven changed. When Jesus came down, heaven itself changed. So what am I talking about? Verse 52 and 53, there are a lot of commentators who won't touch this, but we're going to. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. So notice what, what, what Matthew does here. He now jumps three days. Now he's jumping to Resurrection Sunday. All right. So he's going from Friday. He's talking about what happened. And there's a reason because it's impacted by the fact that Jesus came down. Notice that there were, there were saints, they were raised, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. He's, he's speaking to a reality of the resurrection and what it caused. Why is this important? Well, you have to understand, under the old covenant, when a person would die, whether they were righteous or corrupt, they would enter into what is called Sheol. Sheol was a place, it's, 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 a, it's an, the abode of the dead, And what we see in Psalm 1610 is what would typically happen to a person that died did not happen to Jesus. This is a messianic Psalm speaking of what would happen to Jesus, but we see in it what would typically happen. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. What would typically happen when a human being died is that their soul would be abandoned to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Typically, when a human being under the old covenant would die, their soul would be abandoned to Sheol and their body would decay. In Sheol, there were two areas. There was Abraham's bosom or paradise, and there was a place of great torment and affliction. For those who were believers, who were God's people, God's children, they would die and they would go and be with God's family in paradise, in though the abode of the dead, Sheol. Those who were not God's people would go into a place of torment. Now, we often wrongly think in terms of Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. But you have to remember the New Covenant wasn't ratified until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So during the time of the gospel, the world was still under the old covenant. And we see Jesus talking about the reality, what was happening in Sheol in Luke chapter 16. So real quick, take your Bible and let's go to Luke 16. I want to make sure you see this. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus explains the reality of what would happen in the old covenant when a person would die. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side, to paradise that is. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger into water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead speaking again of the hard hardness even after his own resurrection. But we see here in verse 22 that Lazarus was carried by angels to be with Abraham. He was in paradise. If you'll remember at his death, Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me where? We will be in paradise. And so there was a place for those who were considered the people of God in Sheol where God's people, his family would be. But also you see in verse 22 and 23 that the rich man, he was able to see and talk to Abraham, but there was a deep chasm and he was tormented by fire and pain. He was punished. He was in anguish. And so in Sheol, there were these two areas, paradise, Abraham's bosom, and a place of torment and anguish. And there was a gulf between them that could not be crossed. But when Jesus came down, that changed. After the coming of Christ, heaven changed. It's fascinating. We don't have time today. I hope to write on it more later. But if you go back and read Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees God in heaven, you will notice there are no humans mentioned. But go and read Revelation and you'll hear the angels crying out, holy, 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 just as they did in Isaiah 6. But now there is a throng of humanity. There are people from every tribe and tongue who are crying out worship and praise to God. Why? Because Jesus came down. And because what he did was he created a new reality for heaven so that now those who believe the moment we die, our soul immediately goes to be in the presence of God. And that's what Paul said on several occasions, but I'll note these two. First one, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's he saying? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, Philippians chapter one, verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Where was Christ? He's at the right hand of God in heaven. Paul said, I, want, I would rather go ahead and die so that I can be with Christ in heaven, for that is far better. After Easter, we're going to take time to, to look into tell what happens to a soul that dies. And we're going to talk about the reality of heaven. And we're going to also talk about the return of Christ and what will happen to our bodies at resurrection. So I hope that you'll be here after Easter because we're going to go into this deeper. But I want you to understand today that when Jesus came down, the spiritual reality of heaven changed. Last, 
When Jesus came down, the spiritual reality of God's people changed. Notice in verse 54, the Roman centurion's confession, surely this was the son of God. He did not have to be proselytized and become a Jew through an institution to be able to acknowledge that. He became one who confessed Jesus and he became a part of the people of God, the family of God. You look in uh, verses uh, 55 and 56 and you see this motley crew of women who come from different backgrounds. If you go and look at the other gospel writers, you'll realize that there are other women who were there as well and, and the vast difference in their socioeconomic position in society. And, and what, what we understand here is that God now has people from, from every level of society. He has people from every race and tribe. Here this Greek, this Roman centurion, and here are these Jewish women, and all of them are now one in Christ. I love the picture in Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are one in Christ. Notice we are in Christ. Our sin is forgiven. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. So that when the Father sees us, he sees us as his adopted children. We have all the rights as males. We have all the, that can be inherited is ours. We have the promises of Abraham. They are now ours because we are the people of God. It's not about where we were born. It's not who our daddy or mama was. It's not our education. It's not anything except Jesus Christ who is Lord. And that's a radical change because Jesus came down. There is, there is a radical spiritual reality that is changed about God's people. And Jesus did all these things. He changed all these realities and they're all true. But here's the question that you and I got to answer. And the question I, I hope will haunt you and the, whole, and the question I dare you to, to, to deal with right now. Has Jesus changed you? He's changed heaven and the earth. He's changed the capacity for us to live in his presence. He's changed what it means to be his people. The question is, has he changed you? You say, what do you mean by that? Have you accepted the forgiveness, the free gift of salvation in Christ alone? Have you repented of your sin, acknowledged your sin to God, asked him to forgive you based upon the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and asked the living Christ to be your Lord, your hope, your life. If not, you are lost. And this torment of this rich man is your future. You need to repent right now. You need to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin right now. This holy week needs to be your birthday, your spiritual birthday into Christ. Some of you are my dear brothers and sisters, but you are allowing situations, some of them significant, I, I, I will agree with you, but there's still situations that will pass away to rob you of your joy and your peace and your hope. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than anything you and I will ever go through. It trumps everything. 
Have you forgotten that? You say, well, you don't understand my situation, how bad it is. I probably don't, but guess what? You have a high priest in heaven who does, and here's what he says to you. I am with you. I won't leave you. I love you. I've got a plan, and if you can believe that today, you can have hope. Do you believe that? God loves you. He's in control. He's got a plan. If you will believe that right now, you will have peace. You will have hope. Some of you today, you need a miracle. I get that. God gets that. Have you asked him? Have you asked the one who has the power to conquer sin and death to intervene in a situation that you're aware of? Why are you waiting? Why the pride? Why? Why continue to carry that burden? It makes no sense. Stop. Get on your knees right now and ask God for a miracle and trust his will. He loves you. He's proved it. He's got the power. He's revealed it. He's got the plan. He's done it. Honor him right now. Receive him. Trust him. Ask him right now. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we have just but a moment to reflect and to respond. I know there are some who desperately need your change, desperately need this gift, this hope, this life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and move as we sing the song of confession, as we sing of what we believe, sing of this reality of your love and grace and power and reflect on what it means of the fact that, that Jesus came down. But Father, I know there's some who need to come and do business with you on their knees. Seek your forgiveness. Seek your hope. Seek your intervention and power to be at work in, in their life or the life of someone they love. So God, as we sing praise to you, be honored. And then be honored by those who come to pray to you and be honored to bless them with your, with your power and the working of your hand. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.